Welcome to the Lead On Podcast. This is Jeff Orge, the president of Gateway Seminary, talking with you once again about practical issues related to ministry leadership. Today I want to talk with you about the issue of forgiveness and as a leader, learning how to forgive others. You don't have to lead very long before someone will start criticizing you or attacking you. And when that happens, it's easy to take up offenses, hold on to those, and let it poison our leadership relationships, not only with the person who's offended us, but with other people in our ministry context. One of the essential skills for long-term leadership effectiveness is learning to forgive. So let's start with a story. The Browns and the Smiths, two families, they lived across the street from each other, and they were best friends. The husbands were best friends, the wives were best friends, and the kids, well, they played together more like cousins than friends. In fact, the moms told me that, especially during the summer when the kids were outside playing at each other's houses, when it came lunchtime, uh, whichever house the children were at the time, they just all came in and ate together. The Browns and the Smiths, two families, best friends, interwoven together in a wonderful relationship. Well, they frequently celebrated holidays together, and as Labor Day weekend was approaching, Mr. Brown bought a go-kart. He brought that go-kart home on Friday night, and he needed some work, so he and Mr. Smith spent Saturday refurbishing the go-kart. They finished up their work on Sunday afternoon, and then on Monday, the two families got together for a big barbecue, lots of fun and games, laughter, happy times. Then when that was all over, they went out in the front yard or in the, in the front, row, front street uh, and fired up the go-kart. And the kids took turns going up and down the street, one after the other, enjoying this new toy Mr. Brown had bought and they had, put, they had refurbished and put together for this special event. Finally, the Smith boy got on. He was about 12 years old. He took off down the street, and we're not sure what happened, but the throttle lodged open, and he drove the go-kart into and underneath the back of a large, oversized pickup. The carnage was horrific. In fact, it was so bad, I really can't even describe it to you here on the podcast. Of course, he was killed instantly and in front of both families. They called 911. First responders came. Nothing could be done. Eventually, the ambulances left. The police left. The Browns went into their house. The Smiths went into theirs. And then Mr. Smith called me. He told me what had happened, and so late that Monday afternoon, I made my way to their home and sat down with them. I was grateful they called me. I was their little league coach, not their pastor, their little league coach. There's another podcast there I'll do sometime. They called me and said, Coach Jeff, we, we understand you're also a pastor. Can you help us? I went to their home, heard the story of what had happened, and did my best to minister to this distraught family. The next day, Tuesday, I went back to their home, and in the context of ministering to them, I asked, have you talked to the Browns yet? No. Have you seen them or been over at all? No. Well, we looked out, and there was no sign of life over at the Browns' house, but we let it go. Wednesday morning, I went back the third time to visit the Smiths, 
And I said, what about the Browns? I, I know your best friends. I, I know their son was also on the same little league team I coached with your son. What's, uh, what's happening with them? Well, we don't know. They, they haven't been out of their house, and we haven't heard from them. So I said, let's go. And I walked out of that house and took the Smith family with me. We walked across the street and pounded on the front door. First, no answer. Then finally, the door cracked open and Mr. Brown looked out. I said, hey, this is Coach Jeff from Little League. You may remember, remember I'm also a pastor and I'm trying to help with the situation. Can we come in? Well, he stood there thinking about it for a moment, then closed the door, but then reopened it. And I stepped into their living room and along with the Smith family coming in right behind me. It was obvious that no one had been out of that room for some time. There were leftover uh, food uh, plates around the room. There was uh, blankets curled up. There weren't any lights on. The smell was pretty strong. It was very obvious that this family was hunkered down in their pain, not knowing what to do or where to go. Well, before I could say anything after taking in the situation, Mr. Smith stepped around me, and this is what he said. He said, you're our best friends. We need you. We're not going to make it through this if we don't make it through together. And then he said, what happened out there in the street, that wasn't your fault. It wasn't my fault. It wasn't anybody's fault. We were all out there together. We both worked on the go-kart. We'll never know what happened. But we're not going to make it unless we make it through together. And then those men threw their arms around each other and stood there in the living room sobbing. And then their wives got up and <laughs> held on to their husbands, and they're all four standing there sobbing. And then kids started scrambling out from under, under blankets and filing around me, the Smith kids, and they all gathered around their parents, and everybody grabbed onto a, hug, a, a neck or a back or a leg or something and just hugged. And I stood there watching one large crying group well, for once in my life, I had the good sense not to say anything. I stepped back into the shadows and I thought, God, this is the greatest demonstration of forgiveness that I've ever seen. And here on the podcast today, I can tell you that all these years later, that is still the greatest demonstration of forgiveness that I've ever seen. Forgiveness is a powerful force. It has the ability to give someone back his or her dignity, their emotional health, and self-respect. It's a pathway to healing. It's a way to relational wholeness. Jesus talked about this when he gave us a parable in Matthew chapter 18. Listen to his story. Jesus said, For this reason the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle accounts, one who, had, who owed 10,000 talents was brought before him. Since he did not have the money to pay it back, his master commanded that he, his wife, his children, and everything he had be sold to pay the debt. At this, the servant fell face down before him and said, Be patient with me, and I will pay you everything. Then the master of that servant had compassion, released him, and forgave him the loan. This first part of the parable illustrates that we all need forgiveness. In this parable, there was a king who wanted to settle accounts. 
And so he called in someone who owed him an unbelievable amount of money, 10,000 talents. Now, a talent is equal to 600 denarii, and a denarii is a day's wage for a laborer in that time. I did the math on it. This is about 16,400 years of back wages. Now, you may be thinking, how could anyone let anything get that far out of hand? Well, you're missing the hyperbole of the story. Yes, this is a true story in that Jesus told it, but it's a made-up story in the sense that Jesus is trying to make a point. And the point he's trying to make is this man had a debt he could not pay, an overwhelming, crushing load of debt. And, of course, this is symbolic of our debt in relationship with God. The verses go on to say that there was no way he could pay it back. And so he fell face down and asked for forgiveness of of that loan. And the master, the king, was so gracious to say, yes, I will forgive you all that you owe. Now, this first part of the parable is not the focus of the podcast today, but it's important as a foundation for us. This first part of the parable teaches us that God is is, is like the king in the story, and we are like the servant who owes this insurmountable debt. And just like the servant, there's nothing we can do about our debt in relationship with God. The weight of our sin is crushing. But if we come to God and we ask him, he does this wonderful thing, and that is forgives us for all that we've ever done. So this first part of the parable teaches us that we're accountable to God. We're in desperate need of forgiveness. We've no way of making things right in our relationship with God, and our only hope is coming to him humbly, broken, and asking for his forgiveness. Well, with that as a foundation, the second part of the parable takes on added dimension. Thus, the servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him, started choking him, and said, Pay what you owe. At this, his fellow servant fell down and began begging him, Be patient with me, and I will pay you back. But he wasn't willing. Instead, he went and threw him into prison until he could pay what was owed. When the other servants saw what had taken place, they were deeply distressed and went and reported to their master everything that had happened. Then after he had summoned them, his master said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Shouldn't you also have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And because he was angry, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he could pay everything that was owed. So also my heavenly Father will do to you unless every one of you forgives his brother or sister from your heart. The second part of this parable is the focus of the podcast today, and that is learning to forgive others and developing forgiveness as a leadership strategy to sustain us through the conflicts, criticisms, and attacks that we inevitably face as leaders and to give us the capacity for long-term ministry relationships in in, in whatever setting we're assigned. In this second part of the parable, this forgiven slave called in someone who owed him a hundred denarii. That's about three months' wages. Certainly, that's a significant debt, but it's not an unmanageable amount. He was violent about his confrontation with this person who owed him. He grabbed him by the neck and was choking him and told him, I want you to pay back what you owe. And when he was asked for mercy, for forgiveness, he refused, threw the debtor into prison, and demanded that he 
work until he earned enough back, uh, earned enough to pay back his his uh, debt. Jesus makes the point of this parable very clear at the end when he says, "Listen, if you do this, your heavenly Father will do this and much more to you if you don't learn to forgive." Now again. The hyperbole at the end of the story is as significant as that in the beginning of the story. Jesus is not saying there'll be a, uh, a tit-for-tat, uh, one-to-one correlation of what God will do to you from what others, uh, for what you refuse to do for others. He's simply saying that if you refuse to forgive, you can expect significant cascading negative consequences to be allowed or caused by God in your life. Well, what does this mean? in terms of practicing forgiveness in leadership contexts. Let me see if I can give you some suggestions. First, you must learn to forgive others as God has forgiven you. Now, there are several aspects of this that come out of the parables. First, you have to forgive when your offender doesn't deserve it. Now, in this, in the, in this parable, the servant did not deserve to be forgiven. He deserved to go to prison, but he was forgiven anyway. Forgive when your offender doesn't deserve it. If you had a drunken or an irresponsible father who wounded you deeply, if you had a hostile or a critical mother who always said negative things about you and left you with cuts and slashes and scars on your self-esteem, you may look back on those relationships with your father and mother and say, They hurt me deeply. They don't deserve to be forgiven. Well, that may be true. But I'm calling on you to forgive them anyway. Even if they don't deserve it. In fact, sometimes people need to be forgiven who not only don't deserve it, but don't ask for it and in fact can't even ask for it. If your father or mother wounded you deeply and they've passed away, Newsflash, they're never going to ask you for forgiveness. They're never going to change their perspective on what happened to you or what they did to you. That situation is final and closed. The only thing you can do is make the decision to forgive someone even if they don't deserve it. I once worked with a pastor who was fired unjustly and inappropriately from his church. It was a power play in the worst kind of demonstration. It was Unfair, to say the least, unjust, (laughs) certainly, and in some cases, perhaps even illegal. But this pastor had to make a choice. Was he going to allow the bitterness that could result from this kind of activity to overwhelm his life? Or was he going to forgive those who had wounded him so deeply? They didn't deserve it. They weren't going to ask for it. But he made the decision to forgive those who had wronged him, and to move forward remembering those incidents as forgiven. Forgive your offender when, the, when that person doesn't deserve it. That's one way that we forgive like God has forgiven us. Here's another. Forgive your offender completely. One of my favorite images in the Bible is the passage in Psalms that says, God separates us Uh, from our sin as far as the east is from the west. As far as the east is from the west. Obviously, this is imagery trying to communicate eternity to us. 
God separates us from our sin as far as the east is from the west. That means that God forgives our sin and forgets it. Now, that's hard for us to do. In fact, it's almost impossible for us to do. So rather than tell you that you have to forgive someone and forget that it ever happened, what I hope you'll do is forgive someone and remember the incident as forgiven so that every time it comes up in your mind, you'll say, oh, I remember that, and that's forgiven. So while you may not be fully like God in that you're able to separate sin as far as the east is from the west, forgetting about it entirely, you can say, I'm going to forgive someone completely and so much so that when I remember what they did to me, I will say, yes, I do remember that, but I remember it forgiven. You know, I had an experience like this a number of years ago. I was involved in terminating uh, an employee, except that's not exactly what happened. I needed to terminate an employee, but I was afraid to, and so I connived to change her job responsibilities so that she would resign. And when she resigned, uh, her husband came to see me, and he was livid. In fact, it's the only time in ministry that I've ever been afraid that someone was actually going to physically assault me. That's how angry he was. Well, they were church members. They were working for our church, or she was working for our church when I did this, and so she left the church, and uh, or they left the church, and for the next two or three weeks, I stewed along in that situation. <clears throat> Finally, I went to one of our most trusted members, and I said, do you think I handled this situation appropriately? And I remember his answer so vividly. He said, now you're asking, right? Wow. When he said that, I knew what was coming. I said, yes, I'm really asking. He said, well, pastor, since you're asking, no, you did not handle it right. You should have outright fired the woman, not manipulated a situation where she was forced to resign. That was not right what you did. Well, I respected this person so much that I knew I had to make the situation right. So I went to the home of those, uh, to the couple, and I said, knocked on their door. And when, they came, when he came to the door, I said, I'd like to come in and talk with you for a moment if I could. Well, he was not so sure, but finally he relented, took me in. We went downstairs to their family room. His wife was sitting over to the side sewing, and I said, well, here's what I've come to say. I, I've come to say that I was wrong to change your work responsibilities and your schedule so that you had to quit. I should have been more honest with you and just let you know that, uh, you, that, that, that it was time for us to terminate your employment, and I'm sorry that I handled it the way I did. And I'm here to ask you to forgive me. Well, she never would even look at me. But finally, her husband said, well, I guess we can forgive you. And then he said, but we're not going to forget. It's easy to forgive. It's not so easy to forget. Well, that wasn't exactly what I was hoping for when I went there that day, but I realized it was as much as I was going to get in that conversation. So fairly soon after that, I excused myself and left. And I'll tell you the fast part of the end of that story. I uh, let it go on for two or three more weeks, and they came back to church, and then they came back uh, to a second service, and then they finally came back after about three weeks and, and acted like they were past what had happened to them. And we finally, a few weeks after that, did fully restore our relationship. But I've never forgotten that comment. It's easy to forgive, but not to forget. Well, 
It isn't easy to forget, but if we can't forget, we have to remember the incident as forgiven and work toward the goal of being like God and forgiving people completely. And then third, we have to forgive our offenders lavishly. You know, in this story, the debt was overwhelming. Thousands of years of back money owed. God gave, forgave it all lavishly. You know, up in our kitchen, uh, my wife has a drawer full of baking utensils, and she's got some little teaspoons in there, and uh, they go down from teaspoon all the way down to, I think, eighth of a teaspoon. That little eighth of a teaspoon, that is a tiny little tad of whatever it is she puts in recipes. Is that how you hand out forgiveness with a little eighth teaspoon measuring stick, a little measuring device? Is that how you do it? Or do you ladle it out with a big old gravy ladle? You know, I think when we come to God to forgiveness, he has two giant ladles, and he just dips one in each hand into this giant vats of forgiveness, and he comes and he just pours it all over us. He says, you are drowning in my grace and in my forgiveness. I want to coach you with it entirely. That's how I imagine God ladling out forgiveness. So when we forgive like God, we don't forgive a little quarter or eighth teaspoon, not a little bit of, here you go, that's all you get. No, we ladle it out, giving out lavish forgiveness to people who've offended us. Well, when we forgive... We must forgive as God has forgiven us. Second, when we forgive others, let's remember that it does not remove boundaries or negate consequences. Now, this is one of the tricky parts of leaders who forgive others, and that is when we forgive someone, that doesn't mean that we negate all the consequences or remove all the boundaries that their actions toward us may have made necessary. Let me give you a couple of illustrations. A few years ago, I was preaching on forgiveness, and at the conclusion of the message, a woman came forward and said, I hear what you're saying, and I I really want to try, but I've got a really tough situation. I said, well, what is it? She said, it's my brother. My brother stole $300,000 from our parents. I've been able to document that with some forensic accounting, and I've turned it over to the authorities, and my brother's been arrested, and he's about to go to trial, and he will likely be convicted. Now, you're telling me you want me to forgive him? I said, absolutely, I want you to forgive your brother. And she kind of rolled her eyes and said, but I can't do that. He stole $300,000 from my parents, and he deserves to be held accountable for that. And then I replied, absolutely, absolutely, he has to be held accountable. And she said, well, I'm confused. What would forgiveness look like toward my brother? And I said, forgiveness means you will go and visit him in prison. It means you'll go visit him in prison. Forgiveness does not negate the boundaries or eliminate the consequences of our actions. You break the law, you have to pay the penalty. But rather than hold bitterness, anger, and resentment toward your brother, forgive him. Go see him in prison and be supportive of him as he fulfills uh, the payment that he's going to have to pay of imprisonment for what he's done. Forgiveness removes the sting. It takes out the vendetta. It eliminates the vengeance. It doesn't negate boundaries or remove consequences. Here's another one. A few years ago, a person came to join our church and said, I'd like to become a member of your church, but before I do that, I need you to know something about me. He said, I'm a convicted sex offender. 
I went to prison for a sex crime. I, while, while I was in prison, I got the help I needed. I also committed my life to Jesus, and I've been following him now for a number of years. But I need you to know that I have this in my past, and I have certain restrictions on my activity, and, and, I, and I want to fully disclose those, but I'd really like to become a part of your church. I said we would welcome you into our church on the one condition that you understand the limitations that have been placed on you also apply here at church. The forgiveness is we welcome you. You're our brother. But we cannot negate the consequences or remove the boundaries of your behaviors. The state has imposed those upon you, rightfully so, and we're going to honor them while you're on our property. He exhaled a sigh of relief and said, I will take that every time. I just want to be a part of a church that will forgive me for what I've done, but I will certainly be held accountable for my actions. I'm, I'm fully willing to do that. I know that story so personally because that was actually a family member of mine. Yeah, I know what it feels like to have to deal with a sex offender in our family and to recognize that you have to forgive people, but you don't necessarily remove the boundaries or the consequences of their actions or their past actions as you go forward. Forgiveness doesn't eliminate boundaries or consequences. Forgiveness eliminates the vendetta, the vengeance, the sting in the relationship. That's what forgiveness does. And then when you forgive, it's essential as a leader to do this because it ends the control the other person has over you. You know, when someone harms you, wrongs you, criticizes you, or attacks you, they start controlling you in a number of different ways. First, all the time you spend plotting revenge against them rather than working on the mission or the responsibility that God's given you. All the time you spend daydreaming about how you'd like to get even or stewing in your anger and frustration about what they've done to you and how they seem to be getting away with it. The lost sleep because you're awake at night thinking about the, 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 uh, the person or the situation. Your diminished quality of life, you're eating too much, uh, you're not exercising right, you're stressing because why? You're captivated by what this person has done to you and you can't get past it. A number of years ago, I was mentoring a young man who was very obviously to me called into ministry leadership. But I couldn't force that issue with him. I simply waited until he raised the issue with me. And when he did, I said, you know, I want to affirm you in that. I do see that I believe God is calling you to ministry leadership, but my question for you is, why are you so reticent? I know you love the Lord. Why are you reluctant to follow him in ministry leadership? And then he said, well, it's because I don't want to have happened to me what happened to my dad. I said, really, what happened to your dad? He goes, well, my dad was a pastor, and he was fired. He was fired unjustly for no good reason in a power play by some people that wanted to try to take over the church. And it really hurt my dad bad. And he was out of work for a while and our family suffered. And I just don't ever want to go through that again. I said, okay. Well, I happen to know this person's father. And so I said, well, could I just ask one more question? Sure, he said. What is your father doing today? He said, well, you know my father. My, my father's a pastor. And I just smiled. Just smiled and waited. And then my young friend said, hmm. 
I guess what you're saying is, my dad got over what those people did to him, but I never have. I said, that's right. I said, somehow your dad came to forgiveness and moving on, and now is a very effective and uh, satisfied pastor, content to serve God in that role that he's been assigned. But you, you're still letting those people who fired your dad control your destiny because you won't go forward while they've got hold of you because of what they did to your dad. Now, this story has a great ending. That young man, very soon after that, committed his life to gospel ministry and has been serving the Lord in that role for years. Why? Because he was able to end the control the other person had over him by forgiving them for what they had done. Listen, leaders, when people harm you, wrong you, attack you, criticize you, they have control of you. If you're lying awake at night, plotting revenge, thinking about how to get even, or otherwise letting them dictate your health, your vitality, or your focus, forgive them and move on by breaking that control. And then finally, when you forgive others, you release yourself from the past and you move forward without anything holding you back. You know, a number of years ago, I went to Israel with a group from the seminary. And who goes on those trips? Well, mostly older people who have the time and the money. We made the decision to tour in two countries, Jordan and Israel, but I did not understand that when you changed from one country to the other, you had to unload your bus, carry everything across a bridge, and load it on a bus on the other side because Jordanian buses cannot go into Israel and Israeli buses cannot go into Jordan. The security issues are just too tense. So, no problem. We pulled up to the border. We unloaded uh, our suitcases. I took everything across the bridges and set them up on the new bus and then turned around to see if everyone was following me. And guess what? (laughs) They weren't. Why not? Well, they were struggling because a lot of the older people simply couldn't handle their luggage that far. So back across that bridge I went, grabbed up some suitcases and some other carry bags and toted them across that bridge. That bridge was about 50 yards long, so this was not a short walk. I got everything over on the other side, turned around, and realized I had to do this again and again and again and again until we got everybody across that bridge. About five or six trips into that little excursion, I said to myself, what I really want to do is stop on the edge of this bridge and start throwing this junk overboard. Who brings this much stuff anyway? Let's get rid of the baggage. Well, that illustration is what a lot of you are doing right now. You are lugging around baggage, the baggage that comes from unforgiveness in your life as a leader. Toss it over the bridge today. Stop right now and say, God, the people who hurt me, the people who offended me, the people who've attacked me, the people who've hurt my family, the people who've hurt my reputation, the people who fired me. Father, today I forgive them in the name of Jesus. They haven't asked for it, they don't deserve it, but I grant it anyway. And I grant it completely and lavishly. Now, Lord, I'm going to move on from what they've done to me, eliminating the control they have over me today. Remove the sting, the vendetta, the vengeance from my heart. And when I remember this incident from this moment forward, help me remember it forgiven. If you will do that, 
you will be able to have long-term leadership effectiveness. There is inevitable pain in leadership that comes from people who will hurt you. The solution is a simple one, a biblical one, forgive. Put that into practice as a leadership strategy as you lead on.